Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Man United are back in the groove. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there will also have some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Dan. I've managed to avoid the coronavirus so far. I've got plenty of toilet roll in. So yeah, all good, thanks, mate. Well, if games are behind closed doors, you can be hoarding with plenty of toilet roll, watching the football in the comfort of your own home, I guess. And of course, Drew's uh, going to be joining him as the strike partner and supplying the uh, the rest of the chat, I guess. Drew, how have you been? I hope all is well this past week. Yes, absolutely. I'm doing well. And I just want to say thank you, Carl, for buying all the toilet paper I was selling on Amazon. I appreciate it. It was a good deal, mate. I couldn't resist. Absolutely. I like the way you sort of teamed up there. Good business between you. Right, so before we do the chat of the football in the last week, let's do the social media bits first. Otherwise, I'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Stan Tracy, 983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become one of the 200 or maybe the 201st shareholder, yes, we've hit a landmark. All you need to do is follow and join that very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like it, leave a review. If you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easy way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. And if you want to sponsor the show for next season, I can be contacted via those two Twitter accounts. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to Manchester. And Carl, we sort of intimated last week, but run out of time, that Manchester United could be genuine contenders for the top four or five, however way it splits coming into the season. And they are continuing to solidify their case, especially after that impressive win on Sunday. 
Yeah, I have to say, you know, I, I didn't have them down as winning that game. I thought City would kind of just pit them. You know, it'd be tight, but City would win it. Um, but you've got to say, you know, fair credit to United at the moment. They really are putting in some performances and are probably guest boosted by the January arrival of uh, a certain Bruno Fernandes because he really has kind of sparked them into life a little bit, hasn't he? And, you know, it looks like they've got a buzz. Um, they've got some momentum going now. And as you rightly said down there, the way things are going, they are putting themselves in a real good position to kind of try and see if they can nick that you know, fourth place. And as we always say at the moment now, you know, if City's, you know, ban holds through, then they've really given themselves a great chance of getting Champions League football next season because they're re- certainly putting some decent results together. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Bruno Fernandes has certainly been the catalyst. I mean, it's not to say they've necessarily been a one-man team. But, Drew, when you look at that bit of business, obviously there was Ojin Agalo and that was much maligned when that took place. But that has been a real statement signing and it's p- paying... Well, doing wonders, shall we say, for United this early in his career. Yeah, absolutely. I think Carlos spot on here. Bruno Fernandez has been absolutely fantastic at Manchester United since he joined. And I think that's so important. So, something that I think is so important is you have to give Solskjaer a little bit of credit for changing the formation a bit and being able to find that right spot for Fernandez playmaking right behind the uh Right behind the forwards. I think that's great. And then, of course, immediately he's already on spot kicks. He's already on free kicks. I believe he's taking some of the corners now as well. I mean, right away, you see how different Manchester United is, how much more solid they are in attack, how much more fervor and impetus they have going forward. And they actually have someone that can make things happen now. So for Manchester United, I think Bruno Fernandes was a great signing. He's obviously proving it now. And... I think towards the, or now that we're in the stretch run of the season, I think you have to consider United one of the favorites for top four or top five, like you mentioned, because Fernandez really has been that big of a start of a spark for them. So I think this has been a great signing. He's obviously done wonders and he's also doing it in big time matches. This one is a great example in his first Manchester Derby. So Fernandez is doing great. Manchester United is rolling right now. Carl, from a Tottenham point of view, I think we'd have to say, on the evidence of both he and Gedson Fernandes, we've got the wrong one, because we could really do with Bruno right now, couldn't we? Oh, massively. It's quite funny. I mean, I've got a Benfica um, fan at work, and he was actually miffed that we'd gone out and brought um, Gedson Fernandes, because he was saying, like, most Benfica fans are sitting there saying, he can't get in our side at the moment, and we're not really seeing this player that everyone seemed to be raving about at all. So, yeah, it looks like, you know, we've possibly got the wrong Fernandes. And when you think this was a guy who was willing to come in the summer, wanted to come, um, and we kind of turned our attentions away. Admittedly, okay, the Celso seems to be playing really well at the moment, which is great. But is there any harm in having two of those sort of players in your lineup? I think we'd certainly snap someone's arm off for that right now, wouldn't we, Dan? Yeah, unfortunately, I think the sliding door has not gone in our direction. But Drew, in terms of Fernandez, we'll stay on him. He was on hand to set up the opener on Sunday. A well-crafted free kick. Well, it wasn't really even a free kick, was it? It was just sort of a lofted ball. But it was an un-Edison-like showing at the near post. Another week where United profited from a poor goalkeeping display. But that said, they'll have no complaints either. Yeah, for Manchester United, obviously, take the points when you can get them. And, I mean, don't forget, against Everton recently, Bruno Fernandez's shot wasn't saved by Jordan Pickford. So they're definitely trying to profit off of 
goalkeeping errors as much as they can in recent weeks, and they should be. For Ederson, though, I think the most shocking part was definitely that second mistake that he had, right? The first one on the Fernandez kind of flick that you talked about on the free kick. Yes, Ederson was beaten near post, but those things happen. That, to me, was more of a footballing error. Physical mistakes happen all the time. But that second mistake where uh, he tried to outlet to, I believe it was Benjamin Mendy on the left side, and instead threw it into open space, and Scott McTominay ran onto it in second half stoppage time, and from 40 yards out, one-timed it, scored the goal, and ensured the win. That, to me, was a bigger mistake from Edison, because you see him look up, he can obviously see the entire pitch, he sees where everyone is, and then just throws it into no man's land. That, to me, was the most egregious mistake. I think for City, one sort of reprieve is that these mistakes happened in the same match. Instead of being spread out, especially they don't want it happening in the Champions League. So if you really want a positive from City's side of Ederson's performance, say it all happened in one game and hopefully it's out of his system because that was very uncharacteristic. And I don't imagine he'll be making more st- mistakes like that the rest of the season. Yeah, you'd have to he say... also got lucky, didn't he? Because he, he nearly made a third mistake. The yep. third one, yeah. That's right. Foot, and he nearly gets caught out there. So... He re- his mind really wasn't in the right place um, at the weekend, that's for sure. I'll stay with that, Carl, because that was going to be a point I was going to make. But because he makes that first error, as his brain just gone, and then, like I say, he makes that almost howler in, the, what, the 48th minute or so, and then he actually gives the second goal away. So is it just when one thing unne- unsettles you, you've lost the sort of mindset for the rest of the 90 minutes? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to play in goal quite a lot you know, as a youngster and, and growing up at Sunday leagues and all that. And, and it does, you know, if you make an early mistake where you drop a real clanger, it is always on your mind, you know, after that, you're then like, right, I need to make amends at the next one. But then there's, it just puts an element of doubt in you and, and knocks your confidence a little bit. Um, and I can imagine that, yeah, that, that early mistake and knowing that, you know, I've just cost my side here has probably played on his mind all game. And then I guess there are times, aren't there, where you might be trying too hard and you want to try and do too many things after that to make amends. And the more, sometimes the harder you try, the worse you kind of play or the more mistakes you might make. Um, so, yeah, he obviously couldn't shake it. He'll just have to hope, as Drew said, that you know he can get it out of his system in the week, have some good training sessions, get some confidence back. And then, obviously, you know, get himself ready for their next games coming up, especially the Champions League games. Well, you mentioned trying too hard, and I think the second United goal is a perfect example because obviously there's there's seconds to go, but he's trying to rush out to Mendy and get one last attack, but gets that throw completely wrong. United double their advantage, and they were well earned victors. But talking of poor Drew, I don't think Mike Dean covered himself in any glory. Once again, sort of in the limelight, the free kick that led to the first goal that could have been pulled back a lot sooner. But I don't think that's the most contentious point regarding. Dean, because I think you'd have to say Fred's booking for a supposed dive. What did you make of that? Should it have been a penalty? Was it just contact but not worthy of a caution? Or did Dean actually get it correct? What's your take? You know, this was such an interesting one because right, Mike Dean is always in the headlines, not always for the best reasons as a, as a referee. Um, I thought it was a foul on Fred. Not initially. It was a little hard to see you know, from uh, the live viewing. But watching the replay and seeing the contact, I thought for sure it was a penalty, especially with VAR now. Isn't that why we have it? The only thing I, the only thing I can imagine, the reason it wasn't given is because the VAR, VAR thinks not clear and obvious, right? Because that's the bar 
that has been set, although who knows where that bar really is because it's been inconsistent. That has to be the reason. And like we've talked about before here, do, I, I don't remember who the VAR was in Stockley Park, but does he have the stones, or did he, possibly not, to stand up to Mike Dean and say, you made a mistake, go back and look, I'm overruling you. I'm not sure if that played into it, but like we've talked about before, I think it's it's entirely plausible that that was the reason that it never uh, got changed back or got changed to what I felt should have been a penalty uh, uh, for Manchester United. So I think that's where it comes down. Again, I disagreed with Mike Dean, but most likely the clear and ar- clear and obvious bar is kind of what got in the way here. Yeah, I think, you know, whether it's a penalty or not, I think being booked afterwards was incredibly harsh. I don't think it was a dive, and that's the conclusion that the uh, PGMOL came to at the end. So I think, yeah, a bit of a bad decision there. I think also, there was also, I guess, a bit of controversy, or nearly controversy, Carl, when Aguero netted the ball, the flag went up, and there was a hair's breadth in that between it being a goal and offside. And had it been a goal, I mean, De Gea didn't play for the whistle, you'd have all manner of crisis there, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think this is one of those offsides, isn't it? That I, I don't, you know, in theory, you just now think we need to get to the end of the season with this because they need to bring in and sort something out for these offsides. You know, they're so, you know, th- that sort of thing for me is not what, again, we've said it loads of times, is it? It's not what we want it for. You know, if we're calling those offside, then, you know, so many games being ruined because of this, because, to me, it's not offside, you know. The main, I, I think the best way we're going to do this is if there's daylight between the defenders and the forward, then you can really call it offside. These decisions are just too tight to call. And, yeah, games are being swung on them. Um, you know, players, you know, we saw it in the Sheffield United game earlier this season, didn't we, when Newcastle scored. And basically, you could see Sheffield United almost stop playing, assuming that, you know, if it's offside, what are we doing? You know, Newcastle carried on, stuck the ball away, and they didn't get the goal in the VAR review. Um, it needs to be cleared up because it does just cause chaos and no one really knows what they're doing. And, and those sorts of decisions just make the whole thing look bad, to be honest. Drew, if we come away from referee decisions and VAR, I think we've got to give credit to United for their change of shape, something that certainly worked. Uh, one battle which was uh, on top for United was wan versus Raheem Sterling. But also... The fact that De Bruyne didn't play for Man City, how much was that integral to City not getting on top come Sunday? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne has been Man City's best player by a country mile this season, and he's been a big miss for them, right? I mean, even in the Champions League against Real Madrid, right, playing in a different position, that's something he can do. And I I know there are plenty of City players who can do that as well, but I do think Kevin De Bruyne has been at such a different level this year that you can't really replace him, right? Phil Foden, while good, not Kevin De Bruyne. Bernardo Silva, Ilkay Gundogan, whoever you're going to put in that spot, same thing. They don't really match the level of Kevin De Bruyne. So it was a huge loss. And then, of course, their other uh, main, not necessarily goal scorer, but but attacker, Sergio, or not Sergio Aguero, him too, but um, Raheem Sterling, absolutely shut down. Aaron Wan-Bissaka as a wing back, I thought, did a great job of being able to keep Sterling quiet on the night. Wan-Bissaka has put in a handful of really, really good performances this year. Uh, he did one against Chelsea in the beginning of the season, now against City. And so I, I think for United, you have to feel confident that this change of shape, 
doing a back three that they've employed at times uh, has worked for them. I really like the partnership that Brandon Williams and Luke Shaw do together as kind of a double fullbacks on the left side or one, you know, uh, center back in a three and, and one wing back. I think Solskjaer has a pretty good system on his hands right now. You saw it against Manchester City, and I think you're going to see him deploy it again uh, multiple times as they try and push for the uh, Champions League for next season. Of course, that win for United means that Liverpool could be champions by the time we get round to the Merseyside derby on Monday. So that could be, of course, without kicking a ball. For that to happen, Man City needs to lose their next two games, which is Arsenal and Burnley. So that's not outside the realms of possibility, but I don't think we should necessarily be banking on that. However, Cole, have neutrals have been somewhat deprived now of that blockbuster ending? Because now Liverpool's monster run has ended after that defeat to Watford. It's almost as if the interest has dissipated slightly, and now we're just waiting for the inevitable to happen. Yeah, I think there was, wasn't there? There was kind of... We all knew the title was done. So I think you're then sitting there going, well, OK, that, that, that's that's done now. That's out of the way. We, we know there's no more excitement of who's winning this. But can Liverpool go and make it an unbeaten season um, and potentially, you know, outdo the invincibles of Arsenal? Because they drew a lot of games and Liverpool just weren't. So that was the next thing you're sitting there thinking, well, at least let's see if they can go unbeaten in every game. We'd mentioned we they were starting to look tired and you know starting to run games closer than they were at the beginning of the season and as you say now they've come unstuck it has kind of dampened that mood isn't it now because I think for that top you know for the title race no one really cares anymore we know Liverpool are winning it we know it will be within the next few weeks and actually when it happens there'll be a bit of an anti climax to it now because it won't have that oh can they go unbeaten about it so yeah I do think it's kind of killed that top of the table um, battle now the real things that anyone's interested in is the top four battle which is still there for the taking for maybe sort of like five or so clubs to get into um, and then obviously you're looking at the bottom of the table um, as to what can happen there um, so yeah I think it has sort of like you know put a bit of a dampener on possibly the last bit of excitement there might have been around this Liverpool title challenge but Having said that, we still have to take your hats off to them and, you know, to have the points that they've got at this moment in time, this early in the season, that is something that, you know, there won't be many teams that achieve that. Yeah, it's just a real shame from a neutral's point of view that we're not going to get Man City versus Liverpool with a potential title win at that ground on the line and maybe win 49. It just it was all bubbling up really nicely, wasn't it? And I think we've just been deprived of that. So, Drew, I guess now that Liverpool have got that one in the L column, there is always the danger that they could be going through the motions. And it felt like that early on against Bournemouth. They took the lead. However, did you think that should have been ruled out after the push on Joe Gomez? No, absolutely not. I think Gomez has to be stronger there. I think it's clear that Wilson does push. You see his arm extending a little bit. You see him trying to throw his weight around and his power. But again, though, I think Gomez has to be stronger with that. If it was called back, I would not have agreed. I also, though, would understand the argument of there is a push. He probably does uh, put him off his stride. Therefore, that's a foul, and it should, and it, it can be called back. So I, I would understand the argument, but for me, absolutely not. I thought Callum Wilson there did what a center forward is supposed to do. Use your strength. Use your power. He is that bigger type of guy in that situation, right? He's not holding up. 
but he still has to use his strength up against the center back. I think Joe Gomez, or I'm sorry, um, Callum Wilson did everything right. He did exactly what you're supposed to do on that type of ball when you're trying to get past a defender, when you're uh, trying to win the ball and then get in on goal. To me, Callum Wilson, great job. You made the referee make a decision, and it went in your favor and against Liverpool. So for me, no foul. I guess, Cole, after Liverpool lose to Watford and then they go behind to Bournemouth, there's always that sort of danger that a real wobble is going to start or even continue after the results they had beforehand. So Bournemouth had to make a sub. Jack Simpson comes on. Five minutes later, takes a very very heavy touch. Now, you may get away with that against lesser opposition, but when you do that against the likes of Salah and Mane, they're ready to pounce on any scraps they're given. Yeah, when when you're playing against great players, you know that they don't, often don't need much help. But when you kind of give them that sort of help, then you're asking for trouble, and quite often, more often than not, the inevitable happens, doesn't it? But as you say, I think you know when Bournemouth went ahead, there might have been a few little nerves start, you know, going around and like, oh, here we go. But I think you know, unfortunately for Bournemouth, it's that thing, isn't it? You know, some people will say there's never a bad time to score. But unfortunately, if you go ahead that early, then, you know, there's plenty of time left for a team to get themselves back in the game. And, you know, the chances of you frustrating them for that long uh, are quite slim against a side like Liverpool. So, you know, great that Bournemouth went ahead. But if that had been maybe in the 60th minute or 65th minute, then I think you might have seen a little bit more, you know, the nerves really rang, crank up a little bit because, you know, time's ticking away. But, you know, Liverpool got themselves back in it. Two great finishes to, to get the goals. Um, and I think they'll just be relieved because, again, you know, they wanted to stop that rot because if they'd got a, a draw, say, or even another defeat, then it just starts turning momentum the way you don't want it to go. And that this gives them a little lift for the Champions League and getting, you know, past Atletico Madrid, which you still wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Um, and I think they'll now be keen to say, look, let's not let this season go out with just a title. Let's go and make sure we try and do the double again and, and retain that Champions League. And Joe, with Liverpool head at the interval, you would have had every right to believe that the Reds would then kick on and stroll to victory. However... They'll have James Milner to thank for an absolutely incredible goal line clearance. One that someone, I guess, 10 years less under their belt would have struggled to achieve. I think this is a great example of James Milner leading by example at Liverpool. Because um, you mentioned someone who's maybe 10 years younger doesn't uh, have that sort of work ethic or that determination um, of someone who leads by example. I'm sure in the dressing room he gives great inspirational speeches and, and really lifts the guys. I'm sure that happens. But to see him chasing a, uh, a ball all the way back, I mean, how, how far did he sprint? 20, 30 yards, whatever it was, and to clear that ball off the line as it's coming down to perfectly be able to connect to clear it, I thought was fantastic. And so I think for any player, you have to feel energized by that. To see James Milner playing out of position, something he has done as a left back for, what, two or three seasons now, if needed, and... Um, to, to, again, lead by example like that, to put everything on the line, I think, as another Liverpool player, that has to lift your spirits and say, you know what, if James Milner, the man who has celebrated before like he had a walking cane, if he's going to be putting in that hard work, then I have to as well, especially if you don't have the excuse of being a more seasoned veteran. Um, so I thought that was great from Jill, James Milner. I loved seeing it, and I would love to see more defenders make those type of, of uh, recoveries and it inspire their team. 
Cole, as for Bournemouth, they couldn't take advantage of a Liverpool side that were on the ropes for at least a few minutes. I guess they'll have to be grateful that all the teams around them failed to pick up any victories also. But that said, it's getting desperately tight at the bottom now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you're Bournemouth, you, you probably went into that game knowing you're not going to get anything out of it. So a defeat isn't the worst result in the end of the world. And, you know, you kind of probably already expecting it. Also, the good thing for them was they wasn't on the end of a drubbing. So if it had been four or five, it does the goal difference no good and confidence. They'll feel they've pushed Liverpool. So that will give them a little bit of confidence. As you said, everyone else around them dropped points. So that's a bonus. So I think now they, you know, they can go into the next game, you know, maybe with a degree of confidence that they've pushed Liverpool so close. Um, but as you say, games are slipping away. It's getting tight. They'll want to make sure they kind of get some points on the board. And even if it has to be scrappy, you might have to, you know, get rid of your ideology of planning to play nice football and stuff like that and just grind some results out, which is what I think they'll need to do. Because, you know, they are one of the sides that you kind of fear for at the moment and think they could get sucked in and maybe not have enough about them to get out of it. And Drew, of the teams on 27 points, Bournemouth are the only team not to have won any of their last four matches. So there was the relative highlight of a home draw against Chelsea. That would have been some form of high spot, but the momentum is certainly against them right now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Bournemouth right now. I, I think Carl is spot on in saying that at least they didn't get smashed because I think that would have hurt confidence even more. Like you said, they do have some favorable results in recent weeks, um, but overall we have seen that kind of downward trend this season. And so I think going ahead early was positive for Bournemouth. And then almost coming back, right? We just talked about James Milner clearing it off the line. Those are big for Bournemouth. And with their upcoming matches, they do have some winnable ones, right? Crystal Palace, maybe Wolves, Newcastle. They're going to have to pick up maximum points. And against Liverpool here, it was unfortunate for them that they couldn't pull out a point because they're going to need every single one of it. They are in the thick of this relegation fight. And I don't think they expected to be here, which I think for them is very disappointing and really disheartening. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if Eddie Howe and the players can get up for the final. What is it? Nine matches, because those are going to be crucial for Bournemouth to survive. So the Cherries find themselves 18th and it's Aston Villa who is second bottom at the moment. And Cole, with the show they offered on Monday night, you can begin to understand why. And eye-watering 56 goals now been conceded. That's an exact two per game against that makes a really bad reading for Dean Smith's men, doesn't it? Yeah, I really worry about Villa right now. You know, I kind of think as well, you know, that cup final defeat as well may just have taken something out of them. You know, they didn't get drubbed in there. They kind of did themselves proud, but still they lost. And you kind of think that always, you know, is the disappointment from that hurts. Then you go into this next game. And obviously last night it, it was a horror show for them. And as we said, they're showing all the reasons why I really fear for them because defensively they're just all over the shop. Um, and yeah, you've got to say, you know, their one shining light has been Jack Grealish. But imagine if you they hadn't had him this season in that side, it probably would have been a lot worse for them than it's been. Um, so you've got to you've got to say. I, I worry for them. I think they're in big trouble and I think they will be one of the three that go down come the end of the season because I just can't see enough goals and I can't see enough clean sheets to help them and keep them up. 
personally, I think the three that are in there now will be the three that go down. I think the teams around them just might be all right. But I think, you know, if we look at Norwich, that we'll get to in a minute, but Villa's defence and Bournemouth's downward trajectory, I think all those components might add to their relegation. But Drew, there is some form of shining light for Villa. It's not a lot, but they have a game in hand. However, at this stage of the season, the more welcome commodity must be points on the board rather than games in hand. And especially when you consider that their game in hand is Sheffield United. And that's going to be a tough one to deliver any form of success from. Yeah, as Carl mentioned, right, goals have been an issue other than Jack Grealish. And Sheffield United have been a very solid defensive team this season. So having that game in hand, I don't think is is some sort of lifeline, really, to Aston Villa. Because most likely, they won't take advantage of it. Um, Like you mentioned, in this match against Leicester... You know, Villa were were poor all over the pitch. And and the thing that really surprised me was, yes, Leicester had Wilfred and Didi back, who was a big loss. Yes, Jamie Vardy came on as a sub and helped Leicester. Fine. But even putting those aside, Leicester themselves had been in a pretty bad run of form since possibly Christmas, I think it might have been, or something. And yet, then they go out and they destroy Aston Villa. To me, that's a very worrying sign, that Villa had no real opportunity no fight in them against a team that had been struggling against a team that hadn't been winning themselves and so to see Aston Villa lose so meekly last night I think to me really kind of put the nail in the, in the coffin that you know what there's no way they can survive not following that type of performance when considering the dire circumstances they find themselves in and Carl last week we mentioned Jamie Vardy's goal drought and lo and behold he scores two on Monday night so please add that to the list of players and or clubs that made us look rather stupid as of late a list that seems to be getting longer by the week at the moment like I say Dan as we said last week you know all funds just reach out to yourself uh, we're, we're open for all offers you know we're happy to kind of lift the curse that seems to have fallen on you um, but he probably couldn't have wished for a better side to come along could he at that point you know in that defence because he was starting to look you know pretty grim for him in the season going downhill rapidly two goals um, and that might just get some confidence going. And if he starts scoring again like he was at the beginning of the season, that should be enough to see Leicester clinch that top four Champions League place. Well, that said, Drew, we also mentioned about Leicester not quite being top four over the line last week. That confidence-boosting win would be huge in terms of getting them over the line. And also, as Carl's just alluded to, their talisman back in the groove is going to be a big boost also. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I'm with you guys. I'm ready for our Premier League tour 2020-21. I can't wait for it. Um, Leicester in this game were great, and I think Jamie Vardy was a big factor of that, even though he subbed on. I mean, he he was electric for them, and that's something that they've been missing. Um, I know he's missed some matches recently because of injuries and different things, but now that he's back, he has to finish scoring like – or I'm sorry, he needs to continue scoring like this so that Leicester can finish uh, in the top four because I think – a lot of people, including their own fans, were worried about this wobble that they had been going through. But yesterday's performance should uh, right the wrongs of the past couple months. It should get them back on track. I mean, Brendan Rodgers as a manager has shown in his year plus at Leicester that he can adapt. He can change formation. He can change personnel and make it work uh, for the Foxes. And so now that he's getting some important pieces back, they should uh, be high and fly – or should be flying high for uh, the rest of the season and uh, finish it in the Champions League spot. 
Well, if we're talking about teams that make us look stupid, the Premier League survival pod has taken a stop at Newcastle because last week I mentioned about the fact they hadn't scored in four matches and it was a topic we're going to touch on if that continued to five. Not only did they score Cole, they won at Southampton, a win that almost keeps them safe from the drop. Yeah, I think so. I think there's that little bit of confidence that will give them now and, and a good away win as well because Southampton at home, you know, uh, have been playing really well. So that was probably a result they didn't see coming. I certainly didn't. Um, so a good result. They get a goal on the board, you know, Maximilian again, great little run and he was dangerous all game for them. Um, and he, he looks to be coming into his own and finding his feet really well. Um, and like, as you say, I think that win probably gives them the safety that they'll want. Um, I can see them getting enough points again for the remainder of their games, especially at home, that will see them safe. And, you know, then you'd have to say, well, fair play to Bruce. You know, no one really gave them a chance this season. He's come in, proved a few people wrong. Um, and, and they'll have another season in Premier League football. Yeah, I think you'd have to say fair play to him, to be honest. I mean, me certainly, and I think all of us were perhaps guilty of nailing Newcastle to the uh, relegation mark at the start of the season. But, you know, I think Steve Bruce is a likeable, likeable enough man. He's had a difficult job trying to get Newcastle fans on side, a job he hasn't really completed at the moment. But, you know, little by little, that's starting to turn. And if he does keep them up, which he should, and he probably will, then that job will become a lot easier next time round. But then again, you hit the reset button next, uh, you know, next season. And then you've got a lack of spending, rinse, wash, repeat, and it's all that Mike Ashley sort of stuff again. Anyway, Drew Southampton, two VAR flash points. What did you make of the first one? Actually, I'll give them both to you. So the first one was the Jeppo sending off. Um, went to the monitor on that one. Then there was the penalty award. Referee doesn't go to the monitor. So you know, why one? Why not the other? Discuss. Uh, clearly. The PGMOL likes to just flip a coin like Two-Face <laughs> from the Batman. Because, I mean, really, that, that, that's what it seems like how they make their decisions. For the first one, for, for Genepo's, uh what turned into a red card, going, going over to the monitor, I think they got it right. And then, of course, changing it from yellow to red, I think they also got it right. It was most likely accidental, but, I mean, he stamped right on him, you know, studs into his shin and everything. Um, and, and so it was a deserved red card. And I mean, even you saw it after his face was in his shirt knowing I messed up. Uh, so that one, I like that VAR uh, got it right if they're going to use it. And I like that the referee, since they have VAR, went over to the monitor uh, to check his own work as opposed to relying someone uh, in, uh, in, in Stockley Park. So that was good. Uh, the second one. What I think was the most infuriating thing, and not just for myself, but for a lot of people, is we saw earlier in the game the precedent set <laughs> go to the monitor. I mean, like, that's what precedents are for, right? We, we, if we don't know how to handle something, we look to how someone handled it before. This one was like, what, 20 minutes, 50 minutes before? How long was it? It, it was right then. And, and so that was, I think, the most frustrating thing. The officials in the Premier League have to find some sort of consistency. Be right, be wrong, but be consistent. At least if you're consistent, I think we can yell about you making the mistake, or not you guys on the show, obviously the referees making the mistake because then we understand, well, at least they're doing the same thing every time. We don't like it, we don't agree with it, but we understand where they're coming from. We can understand why they're making that decision. That, I think, is not the case. And what is such a, a huge problem for VAR right now? I guess, Carl, that's always been the sort of fundamental bugbear for every football fan. It's not just since the inclusion of VAR, but 
consistency and the lack thereof. You know, it's always been an issue in the past about some decisions being given by some referees and some not. And then you get VAR and it just muddies the water even further. So as sort of Drew sort of says, it's almost like we don't care if you're 100% right, but at least be sort of true in your decisions and stop flip, flipping, especially in sort of one game. Because like Drew says, you've literally used the monitor and you've sort of shown to people, I'm ready to use it, I'm prepared to do it. So why not do it second time around? So that is what will have people ripping their hair out. Yeah, I think as you say, Dan, and that's been before VAR, isn't it? You know, one week you see a penalty given for an incident, the next week the same thing, no penalty. And that is something that I think, you know, refs and, as you say, this whole thing with VAR now need to get on top of even more. You know, they need to show examples of this and say, hey, listen, if we're going to give this for this sort of incident, then all of you now need to be aware that the next game you ref, if you see that incident, this needs to be the same thing that happens. You know, obviously Southampton could feel really aggrieved, couldn't they? Because we spoke about it before, after the Chelsea Spurs game. If that one was a red card, then Le Celso's one was just as much a red card, if not more, wasn't it? So, you know, again, oh, yeah. there's a frustration there, isn't it? You know, one week the referee does the right thing, reviews it, and yes, gives the red card, which was the right decision. But that should have been what happened a couple of weeks before. So they do need to get together and make sure Look, these incidents, we all need to be on the same page and we all need to be giving the same decisions. And if you're going to use the monitor for that, then let's make sure going forward from now, we all do. I know that, you know, FIFA are not happy with us anyway, are they at the moment? Because they don't believe we're using VAR in the right way. They're not happy with the amount of times that a referee isn't going to the monitor. So I think that's something we need to introduce more next season and get these refs, you know, going and having another look. Because, you know, why not give the guy on the pitch a chance to review it and see if he wants to change his mind first of all anyway. Um, So let's hope they get that solved again come the end of the season. Yeah, I think more monitor is the way forward for next season. So, Carl, stay with you. Watford, another team that lost at the weekend. That didn't help their relegation concerns. And it seems as if the Hornets have been brought back down to earth after their fantastic win over Liverpool. And how much of that was down to the season-ending injury that Delefeu suffered the week before? We did say, didn't we, last week, that I think if you probably gave Watford fans a choice of beat Liverpool um, but lose Delefeu or, you know, lose to Liverpool but have Delefeu for the rest of the season, some might have gone for the latter and said, well, let's keep him and take the defeat because um, we need him for more games. And again, you know, they kind of lost that little bit of creativity on the weekend didn't look as dangerous going forward um, and unfortunately we're on the end of the wrong result you know a great goal for Palace um, and I do find it funny because you know if you watch Match of the Day I love seeing Roy Hodgson standing outside the dugout because he looks like one of these OAPs who's locked at a bus <laughs> yeah. stop doesn't he wandering around like what bus do I get where do I go <laughs> I did think it was funny bless him you know he's got time he's catching up with him and every now and then he kind of looks lost as to where he is bless him but you know, he's getting some good results, but Watford will feel disappointed because that Liverpool result should have, you'd have thought, given them the confidence to go there and maybe try and get a result again. Well, Drew, we talk about Roy Hodgson. That's going to be my next question because this is a week where he has earned a one-year contract extension, three wins in a row. That has probably kept Palace up as well. So, you know, things are looking much rosier in South London. However, Hodgson and contracts is a topic we've touched on. Personally, I would say I'm surprised that he's been given that extension. I thought it was going to be an amicable parting at the end of the season. So is this a vote of confidence or not being able to find the right successor just yet? Well, you're right. We talked about it earlier this season about this specific issue with Hodgson and kind of 
uh, Father Time catching up to him. I think most likely Crystal Palace have not found their successor. Plus, I think also it's a little bit difficult to not bring Hodgson back. I think you would see a bit of an uproar from fans or, or at least a lot of questions. And I think it would be really hard to publicly say, well, guys, come on. He's up there in age. You know, who knows? He may die just like in his sleep one night. I don't think they can say that in a presser. And so I think that's why they kind of had to give him a contract extension. Otherwise, they'd have a lot of questions that they would not want to answer truthfully in public. And, you know, whatever PR spin they would put on it, I don't think people would buy. And so I think that's why Crystal Palace said, you know what, guys? Let's just do this. It's easier. We'll, we won't have a PR nightmare on our hands. And then, you know, if they start to struggle, well, or, you know, we, we can then make the change that we need. We can get rid of them. And we have our, a justifiable reason. We have a built-in excuse. So I think that's the way that Crystal Palace is looking at it. And that's why he gets his extension. Um, and it is only a year, right? It's not a big deal either to have him stay for one extra year. Um, so I think that was another factor going into it as well. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think, you know, like I say, one more season, but that surely must be the last season he'll do at Selhurst Park. Right, going across London now, Cole, Arsenal will all of a sudden consider themselves genuine contenders for a European place. Whether that's the Champions League might just be outside the realms of possibility. But when you look at their performance on Saturday with what West Ham offered against them, you know, Bernd Leno's kept busy, earlier in the season, or under Unai Emery, that's arguably a game they get nothing out of. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, you kind of get the impression that Arsenal could finish strongly in the league, don't you? And, and actually really push for either that fourth or fifth place. Um, and obviously that will yield some good signs for next season for them if they can do some good business in the summer. Um, and as you rightly say... West Ham, you know, probably should have done better, had some good, really good chances where they could have punished Arsenal, didn't. But Arsenal probably would have cracked earlier in the season and actually you know, shot themselves in the foot in that game. Whereas now there's you know, a tiny bit more steel about them. They can grind out some results here like they did this weekend. And as I say, I can see them finishing reasonably strongly. And when you've got a Bamiang and Lacazette up top, you know there are goals there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal really fancy their chances now of that top four or at least fifth. And Drew, West Ham, I guess, will take some form of solace from a relatively decent showing, even in defeat. But, you know, at the same time, this is the same scenario against Liverpool. At what point does David Moyes say to his players, look, we've got to start just being all right on the road. With the position we're in, we've got to start adding points to that as well. Yeah, moral victories are good up to a point, but... Eventually, you have to start getting points in the table and move up. And that's you know a, a big worry right now for West Ham. And, and I think also something, something that I think is making it worse is that right you have Sebastian Allaire and Mikel Antonio starting up top. Both of them should be scoring more than they have, but especially Allaire, who as a record signing, I think has been uh, almost an unmitigated disaster this season. I think that's also a big hurt for them is that they're putting what is probably their best foot forward. They are putting all of their might up front and to try and get goals. And really probably the biggest spark for them has been Jared Bowen, who just joined them in, in January. And so I think that's a, that's a big, big worry for, for David Moyes right now is that he really is putting his best options out there and they just simply aren't good enough. 
Right, let's stay in London. We'll go to Chelsea Caller next. And Drew, I'll go back to you because it's been quite the week for your boys, hasn't it? You've made light work of Merseyside opposition in both Cup and League. Do you feel in good stead for this final quarter of the League campaign? More importantly, are you quietly confident of now going all the way in the FA Cup? I would definitely like to say that this match against Everton, but even extending back to uh, the Liverpool FA Cup uh, win to advance, like you mentioned, I, I hope that this is kind of a spark to a, a positive end to the season. I fear, though, that it's not going to be because you haven't really seen a lot of consistency out of Chelsea this season, and especially not at home, right? This performance against Everton, where Chelsea w were great in all areas of the pitch, that isn't something you have seen a lot of. And so to me, this is more of, of a one-off. For Chelsea, I, I, I would like to see them go and win the FA Cup. And this is why. I do find value in winning trophies in that you have a goal and you have to work all season towards that. Or, well, for the FA Cup, for most teams, you know, from January until the end of the season. But uh, same idea. And so for these young players, right, they're not going to win the Premier League this year and probably not next year. All of these kids coming through and, and in the first team now. Are they going to win the Champions League in the next couple seasons? Maybe the most optimistic of fans like myself would like to say yes. Um, but, you know, in, in all odds, no. Uh, but the FA Cup, they are now close to it. I think it is something for Lampard to say, guys, this is something we have to have our eye on. We have to work towards and understand that we can prioritize one or we or we can prioritize, an prioritize another. I think it's something that they should do. They should go for the FA Cup. And I think it's something that would really help the youngsters um, mature into being a full professional. And if you migrate over to Tottenham corner, Carl, let's talk about Ndombele. Now, we mentioned this on our Tottenham podcast last night about criticism from all quarters and Mourinho and his handling under the bus and all that. However, there was more because Jamie Carragher's weighed in as well with quite an insightful five-minute piece on Monday Night Football. So what did you make of those comments? Yeah, he he was he you know, he was really scathing last night, wasn't he? And obviously, you know, the clips he showed um, do look bad. And I think we'd all, you know, I think if you asked anybody, you know, most Spurs fans, I think you know we'd all probably agree that you know most of us would say, well, actually, you know, this guy probably needs a calling out because you know, given the money that was spent and you know the anticipation that came with him, it doesn't look like he's pulling his weight. He looks well off it. This is not just a guy who's struggling. This is a guy who looks like he struggles to run two yards, let alone, you know, 90 minutes. Um, so I, I feel the criticism is fair. Again, no, we stick there and say, it might be one thing Jamie Carragher calling him out um, after a game, who's just a pundit where, you know, the player might think, well, I don't really care what you think. But then there's obviously your manager calling you out where you then go, wow, you know, my own manager here is throwing me under the bus in public. And that's the sort of thing we just, you know, we kind of know that those days of, you know, the tough manager, Cluffy and people like that calling players out and players being, you know, just accepting it and taking it on. It doesn't really work like that anymore. So it's probably not the best way to get something out of him. But we said to you last night, Dan. We don't know what's gone on behind the scenes with him, do we? You know, we don't know whether they've tried to talk this with him or tried to get him to buck his ideas up in, you know, behind the scenes at the club in-house. And, it, you know, he's just not taking it on and not responding the way they think he should be. And maybe they felt, well, maybe now let's try calling him out in public then and seeing if that works and, you know, put him under the microscope and see how he responds. Um but, yeah, Jamie Carragher was, you know, definitely heavy last night. But rightly, you know, the criticism is fair. 
I still think, you know, the chances are we won't see the best of this guy maybe till next season. We just have to hope that the summer and another pre-season can hopefully sort him out. Um, and then he's going to have to come back firing next season. But the worry will be, if he doesn't start well next season, it could look like we may have an expensive flop on our hands. Yeah, I mean, in terms of this season, I'm not expecting anything out of him. Not because just him, but I think with the scenario that we're currently finding ourselves in with so many injured players, it's very hard to even play well as a team. So I think it's quite sort of difficult for Ndombele to then pull the game by the scruff of the neck and start turning in match-winning performances. But, you know, there is time next season. But as you say, Carl, we could have the biggest flop of all time on our hands. Drew, you mentioned unmitigated disasters. Does Ndombele fit that category quite nicely at the moment? I would like to say no, and, and the reason why before – I know you guys probably just threw your hands up and like, what? <laughs> uh, well, it's because this wasn't on this show, right, because we uh, we hadn't started yet and I hadn't joined. Um, but b- when he signed for, for Tottenham, I did think he was going to be a good signing, but I did think people were, were overhyping him a bit. And I wrote about this and talked about it on my show, and so to see him now uh, – Flopping essentially, it, it, he's done worse than I expected, certainly, but I didn't expect as much as I think a lot of people did, and so that's why I, I kind of hesitate to to answer your question in, in this way because for me, I'm actually not as surprised as a lot of people, and, and it hasn't gone um, so badly because I didn't expect uh, I didn't expect something so so positive as, as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, for you guys. So so that's where I'm coming down on this. No, I get you. You set yourself a low base, so you can't really be disappointed because you're not really setting yourself high to start exactly. with. Exactly. Get you. I get you completely. Ma- maybe, Dan, no, if we slaughter him right now right yes. here and say not good enough, then we're laughing and the Champions League spot might turn around to Tottenham because he'll just blitz, blitz it for the rest of the season. <laughs> this is it. We, we seem to have the anti-Midas touch, don't we? So I think, you know, um, if, if, you, if you're listening and Dumbele... There you go. You're away. So, um, fingers crossed on that front. Just a couple. Yeah, of... send him to train with the reserves. He's not good enough. Does uh, that help? Uh, yeah, yeah, keep going. Like, later on, the things okay. you want. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple more bits we just need to cover. Let's go to Bramall Lane. Carl, Sheffield United, they've got the better of Norwich in, I guess, a slender win for the Blades. But slender has been their bread and butter all season, hasn't it? And again, this is a team you cannot rule out of the European race either. No, definitely not. And to be honest now, Dan, if there's one team I actually want to see do it, then I think Sheffield United are the team I'd really love to see get that top four or fifth place because they've deserved it. You know, they've been really good all season. They play some good football. And like as you say, they are a team that they don't necessarily blow everyone away every game, but they get in, they play some real good football. They've got a good spirit about them. And again, at the weekend, showed what they're all about. You know, some good football, um, you know, great goal, great cross and great header. They get a slender win. But they've been so impressive. I, I really would, you know, they're the team I really want to finish in those positions just to give everyone a wake-up and fair play to them. And I say at the other end, they've possibly got someone who's giving himself a real shout at a Euro place right now, given the way that goalkeepers are playing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be really surprised if Dean Anson didn't make the final 23 for England. But, Drew, from a Norwich point of view, how frustrated will Daniel Farker be that they couldn't build on that Impressive one to win over less than the week before. It seems to be reverting to the type for the Canaries. Yeah, that's the thing is, right, when they've come up with a, a few big wins this season, they haven't really been able to build on it or follow it up with anything. And I think that's the sign of a mediocre or poor team is that you can't build any momentum. 
And, you know, as we've talked about so many times on on this show is they're 99% sure going down. They've been rooted to the bottom of the table for quite a while now. Um, and while Sheffield United has been good and uh, Dean Henderson came up with, was it a double or triple save that uh, in the box just outside the net uh, was unfortunate for Norwich, you know, they haven't put in a lot of moments of brilliance this year. Um, and so this this match was just another example of the Canaries being a team that is going to head back down to the championship. Okay, last one I'll take. Wolves versus Brighton, a stalemate at Molyneux. I guess you'd have to say, after a leggy performance from Wolves, a better point for Brighton. Although that said, that's now no win in nine league matches. And that run is making, I guess, Graham Potter, his players, everyone connected with Brighton, just a little bit nervy at the moment. And I know I said that the three teams in the relegation zone at the moment will probably go down. I think if this trajectory continues, Brighton are going to be really, really close to it. You know, maybe sort of 17th again like last season. And we spoke about the Potter project last week and whether that's working. This is perhaps evidence that it's not really the success that they want. With that said, now I've stated Brighton, they'll beat Arsenal at the weekend. Guarantee, get yourself down to the cookies. <laughs> I tell you that now. And that leads us nicely onto last man standing. That's how we're going to finish the show this week. So, a quick recap of how we did last week. Not good from the front runners because they both slipped up, which means the door has been slightly left ajar for myself. This could be the greatest comeback since Lazarus as Bournemouth failed to uh, beat Liverpool. That was a defeat for them. <laughs> so I'm on 16 points now, but Carl is still top of the table with 24. Drew is on 22. Drew, I'll give you the serve. Who's going to be your guaranteed loser this week? All right. Well, we got to get back on track. And uh, since I have that free hit, since I didn't get one right uh, last weekend, I'm going to go with Brighton. I'm going to go with them to lose at home to Arsenal. I like what Arsenal's been doing lately. Their attack's been great. So we're going to try it a second time, a second go around. Brighton, again, I'm calling it guaranteed losers at home to Arsenal. That's an interesting tactic. I don't think anyone's ever lost, then used their free hit to go back to the same team. Brave, bold, I like it. Cole, what have you got for me? Uh, well, this week I'm going to go for Burnley, um, away at Man City. I think City will come back after that performance at United and put a performance in. Uh, so for me, Burnley. OK, and I'm going to go for um, Chelsea, sorry, no, Aston Villa to lose at home to Chelsea. I think, you know, we've just... Great spoke. pick, great yeah. pick. Well, I think the way that Villa are shipping goals, obviously Chelsea's inconsistency might burn my fingers slightly, but I think Chelsea would have too much with the groove they're now in. I think that would be an away win for the Blues. So let's just recap quickly. Drew's gone for Brighton again. Whether that pays off, we'll have to wait and see. Carl's gone for Burnley to lose at Man City. And I've gone for Aston Villa to lose at home to Chelsea. Right, that is about full time. I think that's the admin out of the way this week. So what is is there left to do? Uh, I think could talk about coronavirus, but I think it's going to spread so quickly that it might be out of date by the time this episode even lands in about half an hour or so. If if, if you don't mind, I I have a suggestion. Yes. I'm I'm not fearful of the coronavirus very much. I think what we should do to test its powers is inject it into the greatest footballers on the planet, Messi, Ronaldo, Harry Kane even, and let's see how strong this thing is. Let's see if it actually is something we have to worry about. If they all get better, then let's open the stadiums back up. Well, noble thinking. I think we'll put that to the uh, we'll put, we'll put... I, I, I like the fact Drew's picked a Spurs player to yeah. curse. Like, we need any more curse. <laughs> He's already out. It's not going to make them any worse. <laughs> true, true. You could have gone for a Bamiyang or something like that. would have been more... Yeah, thanks, Drew. I, I yeah. was trying with the credit of greatest players on the planet. 
Wanted, wanted to throw that one your way. Try and nah. extend the olive branch a little. No, that's fair, because I think if you'd gone greatest players on the planet and then chucked in a Bamiyang, it could have been even more difficult. Right, I'll be on the phone <laughs> to the WH show after this finishes, and I just need to thank you two as a sterling effort, as always. Drew, an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much, mate. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Love talking the Premier League and the beautiful game with you guys, like always. Fantastic. And Carl, same to you, mate. Thank you so much. Cheers, Dan. Really enjoyed talking to you guys as always and, and look forward to next week. Yeah, next week we'll do it all over again. And with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.